How many of you have ever wished you could see more clearly what God was doing in your life? Can you see your hands? You're going to hear a word. I want you to listen to it today over and over. The word's going to be see. What's the word? What is it? Right, I want you to listen now for that. As we look today at seeing what God wants me to see in his word. Now, if you've ever thought, man, I'm reading this Bible, because that's what we're looking at in this series called Text Messages. I'm reading this Bible, but I'm just not seeing much in this. I'm seeing printed words on pages. Today, I'm going to explain how you can get more out of your Bible and how you can start seeing what God wants to say to you for your situation in your life. Now, the Bible, I want to say this, can be quite a difficult book until you get some illumination, some light thrown on the subject. In week one of this series, I looked at the at the theological concept called inspiration. That was the first one. But I put in ways which is even nine-year-olds can get their arms around inspiration. And I looked at seven reasons why you can trust God's word. That was the first week. And the topic was inspiration. Last week, I looked at the Bible as the foundation. Seven reasons God gave you his word and the difference it can make in your life if you apply it. If you apply it, this week, I'm going to look at the subject of illumination. Letting the Holy Spirit, who is God, show me the meaning of God's word and how it applies to my life. Now, on the front row, I have two people who have known most of my life. My father-in-law, Peter, and my wonderful wife, who have known since I was 15 years old. Now, one of the common things you get to know when you get to know people that well is that this man told his daughter repeatedly, darling, do not read with dim light, with the lights off. Turn the light on. It'll strain your eyes otherwise. I have heard that conversation a million times. When these two, well, definitely Peter is encouraging his daughter. The point is this. When you have more light, you can see more clearly. Now, before Jesus went to heaven, after the resurrection, he starts to explain the role of the Holy Spirit. And many of you have wondered, who is this person, the Holy Spirit? And what is his job? What is his purpose? Well, one of the Holy Spirit's roles, he he talks about in John 14. But before we get to that verse, he says, I'm about to go now, guys. To the twelve. This is to the disciples he's talking to. To the apostles. Those who'd seen and lived with him. He's talking to them. And he says, I'm about to go, but one, I'm going to go in physical body, but I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And one of the Holy Spirit's roles is to illuminate, throw light on the Bible. He helps you to see things that you would not normally otherwise have seen. That's his job. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're, not, you're going to miss a lot in the Bible. I want you to look at a few verses here. And remember, remember, whenever you read a verse, you need to be thinking about who it's written to. John 14, 26. 
speaking to the disciples, the apostles specifically, when he said this. He says, the counselor, or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he said he's going to reveal them the things that they only partially understand. Did you understand? Have you ever read in the Bible? Well, the disciples were kind of confused about what Jesus was meaning. Very often, they didn't quite get it, even after being with him three years. They only had partial understanding when Jesus was in them, with them in the flesh. And he's going to now remind them of what he said to do, which is contained in the Bible. And by the way, that promise there ensures the validity of the New Testament because the Holy Spirit was reminding the apostles what to write down. And then John 14, 17, it says, the, He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. So if you want to get closer to the truth, the Holy Spirit has a key role here. It's the Holy Spirit that leads you to understand God's truth in God's word. And Ephesians 1, 17 says this, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you the Holy Spirit. Now hold on, right there. There's another verse. I keep pointing him out as we teach Sunday after Sunday. Here's another verse. In one verse, you've got the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will make you wise. That's one of his jobs. And let you understand what it means to know God. Wow. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, hey, boys, gather around. I'm going to heaven, and lo, I will leave you with Bible studies and commentaries. Bye-bye. See you later. He said, no, no, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you who will empower you, he'll enlighten you, he'll illuminate your minds based on my words. So, as I, the Bible is a supernatural book in that the author can talk to you whilst you're reading it. It's almost like sometimes the words are almost a little bit bold. As I read it, I say, Holy Spirit, what? Do you want to say to me, and how do I apply this in my life? That's the conversation I have often. So how does illumination look? Let's look at this verse. We sing the song, actually, been singing a number of times, from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that's illuminated, that you go, uh-huh, I get it. In order that you may know what? Three things. One, the hope to which he has called you, that you'd know that, that your eyes would be open to actually get a grip on that, to get a glimpse of it. Even a glimpse is enough to blow you away. That you also may know the riches of his glory and his inheritance, the things that you're going to get. You've got an inheritance which way surpasses anything that you could even imagine. And three, that you get your, your eyes of your heart will be enlightened to know his incomparable great power to those who believe. There is nothing like him. So the eyes of your heart. In other words, the light comes on. The aha moment. I get it. That's illumination. And that's exactly what we all need today. You read God's revelation in his Bible. That's what you read. You read his revelation. But the Spirit does the illumination in your heart and mind. This is something mums and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you need to teach your kids it is not just words on a page like reading Shakespeare. 
Now, for some of you, you've never had that or you've really had it. It's been irregular, irregular in your lives. And it's just been reading words on pages and you're going, gee, I'm not getting much out of this. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what happens when God opens your spiritual eyes. And I'm going to use four key stories to do that. Four stories that illustrate this. Number one, that's going to show you that it's going to, I see the solution to my problem. When God opens my spiritual eyes, I see the solution to my problem. The story I'm going to use is that of Abraham. God promises Abraham to have a son, a special son. And he's going to be the father of a great nation called Israel. He promises that. And by the way, when God promises, he never breaks a promise. But Abraham was 90 years old. You get that? 90. Think about that. 90 and still doesn't have a son. So Sarah comes up with plan B. You see, she's thinking, this is taking too long. Have you ever thought that? This is taking too long, way longer than I anticipated. And by the way, I am too old now. I'm past my use-by date. So she comes up with plan B, and plan B is common in the Middle East in those days. It was, well, you can take my slave girl. I will give you permission. Don't you touch her unless I give you permission. But I've given you permission, and you can have a baby through her. Hagar. So guess what? Hagar gets pregnant. But that is not God's plan. See, sometimes we get in a rush. Things aren't happening. And so we tend to help God out. Well, he said that, so maybe uh, I'll do this. Big mistake. And Abraham says, you have given me the promised boy. And God says, actually, Abraham, that's not my plan. That's your plan. And yes, you have, because I give you free will, but you haven't followed my plan. I love Ishmael, which was the name of his son, and I'll make him into a great nation. But he is not the promised miracle baby that I had in mind for you and Sarah. Now, Ishmael became the father of all Arabs. All Arabs descend from Ishmael. Later, God does a miracle by Sarah, who gets pregnant, and she names her son Isaac. And Isaac is the father of Israel, the Jewish nation. Now, knowing Ishmael is the oldest, that causes Sarah a problem, because she suddenly thinks, hmm, he's the oldest, and he's first in line for the inheritance. And my son is going to get cut out of the deal. So she starts to get jealous of Hagar and kicks Hagar and her son clean out of the tent and into the desert. And I'm going to pick up a story. If you have your Bibles, and by the way, if you're a Christian, I would highly recommend you bring your Bibles so you get used to handling the Word of God. Genesis 21.14, and you can follow along with me. It's not on the screen. It's in your Word. Genesis 21.14, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water, and gave them to Hagar. And he set them on her shoulders, and then sent them off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba, which is way down the bottom there. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. 
And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. This is a tragic situation. A helpless boy is going to die from a lake of water. Now, it carries on. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? That's a kind of unusual question. But he still asks it. What's the matter, Hagar? Then he says something which is so often, even in the New Testament, said, Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. So even though it wasn't God's plan A, he said, I'll still bless this boy. And he does. Now this is the point I want to pick up on your outline on the screen. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Here's the point. She had the solution right in front of her, but she couldn't see it until God opened her eyes. Now, I don't know what problem any one of you are going through right now. But if you are saying, I don't see any answer, God, you, my friend, need to have your mind illuminated so that you can see the solution in God's word. Because God can open your eyes to resources and opportunities that you just didn't see. The second story that relates to the second benefit of having your eyes open spiritually is I see the barrier to my progress. Have you ever been trying to move ahead in a certain direction in your life, but you somehow just keep bumping up against an invisible wall and it's hard yards? You're trying your best, but you're just not making any progress. Friend, you need to have your eyes illuminated. And the example I'm going to pull from today is about a seer named Balaam, who had agreed, who was one of the prophets, but he'd sort of like fallen off the bandwagon, and he'd agreed to help Israel's enemies. And by the way, if you want to do a little bit of research on this guy, you can find that in 1967, H.J. Franken, who was a Dutch archaeologist, finds a wall engraved mentioning this prophet Balaam, the son of Bor. Balaam is looking for a way to profit from his position as a seer and collector war, a reward from the enemies of Israel by shacking up with the enemy. Let's pick it up from Numbers 22, if you've got your Bibles. 22, 22. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent an angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. Now Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn in his hand, and the donkey bolted off the road and into the field. <laughs> but Balaam beat it and turned it back on the road. You can imagine, he's getting frustrated. Hey, get back here, donkey! Number one. Second, uh, next verse. Then the angel of the Lord said to the place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls, where the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing, he tried to squeeze by, and he crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. 
<laughs> so what does Balaam do again? He beats the donkey again. That's what the verse says. Third time. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place so narrow, narrow that the donkey couldn't get by. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down. <laughs> Smart donkey. Dumb lamb. In a fit of rage, the Bible says, Balaam beat it again and again with a staff. Now, by the way, just a sidebar here. What the Bible records, it doesn't condone. It's just recording what happened. This guy's losing his wig. He's frustrated about this brute of a donkey who's been stubborn. Now, look at this verse on the outline. Numbers 22:31. down a few verses. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. That's illumination. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn. <laughs> Balaam now sees. So he now bows low and fell face downwards and worshipped God. No dirt. Here's the point. When your plans are not working out, when you're getting blocked at every corner and you're getting upset with your others, with your wife, with the husband of yours or with the boss and you're beating the donkey, air quotes, you may not be able to see the real problem. Perhaps God's trying to keep you, as he was in this case, from a serious mistake because he loves you too much. When your progress is blocked, you can either beat the donkey, ear quotes, or let God open your eyes. What's causing this impediment, Lord? Show me what's holding me back. When God opens my eyes, one, I see the solution to my problem. When God opens my eyes, number two, I see the barrier to my progress. And story number three is when God opens my eyes, I see God's protection from what's attacking me. I see God's protection from what's attacking me. You see, everybody from time to time feels under attack at some point in their life. And maybe today you felt this week or recently that you're under attack. Right now, maybe it's a sickness. Or maybe there's some constant niggling going on with a, in a relationship. Or you've lost your job. Or you're under attack from former friends or family members. And in your own mind even, maybe your own emotions are attacking you. And you have a high degree of unsettledness in your heart or your mind. Now it's easy to think at those points that you're all alone and feel bewildered and befuzzled by it all. I want to talk to you about a story found in 2 Kings chapter 6, a very famous story about Elisha, which is a servant of Elijah, which Josh has talked about, and the Arameans. The Arameans were kind of a bunch of marauders that looked for opportunistic raids to enrich themselves. In this case, we would pick it up, they're actually at war with Israel, which is pretty much usual for them, if you read the um, Second Kings and First Kings, actually. But every time, here's the frustrating point, every time they'd attack Israel, God would warn Israel through a prophet called Elisha of the Arameans' battle plans. So he'd give them foreknowledge. 
And eventually that gets very old for the king of Amram. The king of Amram wonders, hmm, who's leaking in my cabinet here? In my war council? Who's telling the enemy of our plans? Because every time we get there, they're ready for us and we get ourselves in trouble. Second Kings 6.10. I'm going to pick it up from. This happened several times. So the king of Amram became very upset over this. And he called his officers and he demands in 2 Kings 6.11. Which of you is a traitor in this room? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? The retort, it's not us, my lord. One of the officers replied, it's Elisha, the prophet of Israel. He tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom. Whoa. Then the king says, well, you can find where this Elisha is. And we'll send troops to seize him. We'll get that guy. The report comes back. Well, Elisha's at Dothan. So one night, the king of Amram sends a great army with many chariots, I'm continuing to read here, and the horses to surround the city. When Elisha's servant got up the next morning, he goes, oh, you know, get ready for some fire to stoke a good old cup of coffee. He goes outside and he sees the troops and the horses and the chariots surrounding them. And he comes quickly back in, shuts the door, he says, Elisha, what are we going to do now? Interesting again, Elisha says the famous last words. Don't be afraid. Another Old Testament verse, and that's a word for some of you today. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Elisha says, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And Gehazi's gone. Have you lost the plot, Elisha? There are thousands of them out there, and there's you and me inside this house. This chicken shack, which is made up of mud and bricks. What are you talking about? Second Kings 6.17 says this. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills filled with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now Gehazi can see. And his eyes have been opened. You see, he, he was able to see a spiritual army that he couldn't see in the physical dimension. Let me point out a very important principle here. You lose your fear when God is near. You lose your fear when God is near. In a very poor illustration, it's like being next to Superman. What can you do to me? (laughs) And God is so much more powerful than Superman. Now the rest of the story goes. Fascinating to take your kids through this. As the Aramean army advanced towards them, Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, Please make them all blind now. And the Lord did as Elisha asked. Then Elisha went out and he told them, You have come the wrong way. He's he's winding them a good one. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. In one sense, that's dead true. Because when they open their eyes, you're going to find out who he sees. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as he entered Samaria, Elisha now prays, Oh Lord, now open their eyes. 
eyes and let them see. And the Lord did. And then they discovered they're in Samaria. Uh-oh, smack in the heart of the enemy territory. Now when Elijah's king and the, the king of Israel saw the, captives, uh, the captive enemy army, he shouted to Elijah, should I kill them all? Great opportunity, right? Like, like where are we? Uh, ever woke up from a dream? Where am I? Oh, that's right. I'm in this room, this house, in this country. Right now, surrounded by the Israelite army, they're, they're there, and they've just had the sight restored. Should I kill them all? Of course not, Elijah said. Do we kill prisoners of war? That's what he says. You can read it. No, give them food and give them drink, and then send them home again. So the king of Israel made a great feast for the Aramean army and then sent them home to their king. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) I ain't touching that one. And I can understand why. Here's the point. you got things attacking you, and when you feel overwhelmed by the things that are just getting on top of you, ask God to open your eyes to see all the resources that he has commanded to take care of you. Cast all your care on him, for he cares for you. And then my fears go down dramatically. And the fourth and final story is the fourth benefit of being able to see with your spiritual eyes and have your mind illuminated is this. I see then how God is actually walking with me. He's walking with me. He's actually been with you all along. I just didn't see it. Now maybe you felt like this yourself. You're out there by yourself, nobody else. You're fighting this battle by yourself. You're lonesome. But you'll be wrong when you said that. He's been with you all the time. You just can't see it until your mind is illuminated and the eyes of your heart have been opened. I'm going to pick up the story from the New Testament this time in Luke chapter 24. And this is on Easter Sunday, the day Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I'm going to pick up a story about two guys, two disciples who were discouraged, very bummed out disciples walking 10 kilometers down the road to Emmaus and talking about what's happened. They're just chatting backwards and forwards. Their dream was finished. It was over. Jesus was crucified And they were confused. That wasn't supposed to happen in their view. They were grieving. All their dreams are dashed. They were fearful even for their lives. That's why getting out of Dodge, in this case, is Jerusalem. And then the rumors started. Just rumors. Just rumors. The body's not there. That's all they'd heard. The body wasn't there. Gone. Now, over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared walking around Jerusalem. At one time to a crowd of 500, that is the reasonable explanation for why within 20 years there were 100,000 Christians in the church in Jerusalem and a million by the end of the first century. Because, man, you're going to tell people what you saw. All because of witnesses, eyewitnesses. Now, in Luke 24, 15, we're going to pick it up in verse 15 of Luke 24. Suddenly Jesus himself came along and joined these two disciples, the downtrodden and just discouraged and confused ones and he began walking beside them but they didn't know who Jesus was because God had kept them from recognizing him 
Jesus said, I love this, you seem to be in deep discussion about something. What are you so concerned about? Because we're talking about the crucifixion and all that's going on and the chaos in Jerusalem. And then when he says that, the Bible says literally, as I'm reading there, they stop short, sadness written on their faces. Then Cleopas said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened in these last few days. And then Jesus is kind of playing a bit dumb here. He says, "Uh, what things? (laughs) Obviously he knows what's going on. And the disciples said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man of Nazareth, they said he was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And we thought he was the Messiah. We thought this guy was God, but he's dead. We thought that he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. And that all happened three days ago. They continued. Then some women were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report, the scriptures say. They said his body was missing, and then they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Now some of our guys, some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone. We know that, because our guys told us that. But just as the woman had said, Now, he's walking right there with them, but they haven't seen him yet. They don't know what to believe. Now, notice what Jesus says next. Then Jesus said, you are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all of the prophets, all of the prophets who wrote in the scriptures, wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets? that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his time of glory? And then Jesus quoted from the writings of Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All the prophets, and that's the Old Testament explaining what the scriptures had said about him. That's the point. The entire Bible is all about Jesus. Not, and that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Both Testaments are about Jesus. Now, as they're entering their journey, I'm going to get to the next verse on your outline. They invite Jesus to stay the night. Now, this is when something happens. He breaks bread with them, takes communion, just like they'd done a few days before in the upper room. Luke 24, 31. Then their eyes were opened. That's what the Bible says. And they recognized him. Then he disappeared from their sight. You see, in their grief and their confusion, they were missing Jesus. They just couldn't see it. They needed illumination. Last year, for you, you may have lost a job. You may have lost a partner. You may have lost your health or a deal. Whatever, you can be grieving and you can't see Jesus. But he's been with you all every step of the way. You've never been by yourself if you are a Christian. Now, now do you realize how important illumination is? Because it can change your entire perspective, your worldview. And it's not just in words on a page. When God opens your eyes, it changes my perspective. And this is what happens. My anxiety goes down. And my peace 
comes up. And my joy comes up. So, let me quickly go through these last few points. How now can I therefore prepare to see what God wants me to see? Five things I can do so God can enlighten my mind and open the eyes of my heart. Number one, the base one, base one is you must start by beginning a relationship or begin a relationship with Jesus. Without that, you ain't going to get the illumination. Begin a relationship with Jesus. So until I trust him for salvation, I'm spiritually blind. The Bible talks about that. And I only see things from a human point of view. Now you, you can know about Jesus, but you actually have to know him personally. It's like if I had a letter from my fiancé, and I got that in my flat, as I did at university, and I got that. Now, if I read it, I can see a lot more in it than if I gave it to one of my flatmates because I understand the meaning. I know the person. They'll just read letters on a page. What I read is what she meant. 1 Corinthians 2.14, a man without the Spirit, in other words, not born again, not born again, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you will not get it. My eyes are blinded until I have a connection with God and God comes to live within you through his Holy Spirit. So how do I get a connection? John 3.3 tells us that. Jesus declared this, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So you can't get past that step number one. And if you haven't done that yet, you haven't been born again yet, we're going to settle that one at the end of the service in a few moments today. Number two, you need to ask God in faith to open your eyes, to open them. Ask him. You have not because you ask not. This is a great prayer as you read God's word. You can even say it out loud when you read the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes and I may see wonderful things in your law, Lord. It's a wonderful book, but I can't see it till I have illumination. When you pray that, remember what also James says. There's a couple of qualifiers here. Number one, James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, and I need that daily, maybe you do too, he should ask God, who gives generously. He's not scroogey with his, his, his wisdom. Without finding fault, he gives to generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Here's God's promise to those who know him and want to know his will. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. But I've got to ask in faith for God to open my eyes. Number three. When you're asking, come with a humble attitude. A humble attitude. Because in Psalm 25 verse 9, the Bible says over and over, He guides the humble. Not those, no, don't need to ask you, Lord. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that. What do you think, Lord? Okay, that's your point of view, and then carry on with our own life. What are you talking about? Why would we ever argue with the God of the universe? 
He guides the humble, and that's what you and I need this week, in what is right. And he teaches them his way. So be teachable. Proverbs 3.5, very famous verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. You know, in other words, wow, that's what I think I need to do. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. In other words, be cognizant of him and give him preference in all of your ways. Okay? What ways? Let me be real clear. In your sexual ways. Acknowledge him. In your financial ways. Acknowledge him. In your career ways. Acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Number four, cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. If I'm filling my mind with junk, let me give you just a very small definition of junk. If during the week I'm watching pornography, I'm reading garbage, trashy novels, watching ridiculously pathetic, inane, banal movies and magazines, and then they come to God and say, God, I need some instruction about what I need to do in this area. Friends, God's illumination is not going to happen because the Bible says be changed and transformed by the renewing of your mind, and what goes into your mind is the washing water of the word. The Bible also says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Or, on the flip side of that, are you filling your heart with bitterness? I am so ticked off with that guy, that girl, my husband, my wife, my teenager. Are you full of resentment because of what that person has done to me and it keeps coming back and back and back and back and back and back? Or is it guilt or anger or jealousy? Boy, I wish I had what they've got. Hmm? Or envy. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart. I must have a clear conscience. I remember that great psalm, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. 1 John 2, 11 says, whoever, now do not rush past this verse, whoever hates his brother is in darkness. And walks around in darkness, stumbling all over the place. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. He's blind. So if you have a big argument with someone and then you say, God, teach me from your word, you'll probably find that the words on these pages just feel like printed words on pages. Did I say words? Words on pages. (laughs) You know what I mean? The light won't come on because there's a relational conflict and the Bible says you cannot be right with God and wrong with others. That's, that's a really simple equation. I cannot be right with God and wrong with others. You can't love God and hate others. That's what the Bible says if you've got something wrong with another, when you come to church and you bring an offering, leave your offering there, then go make it right with the person, then when you come back, finish your worship. He says it's a mockery to worship God if your heart is full of anger and bitterness, and jealousy. So if you really want your mind to be in line, you may just need to forgive somebody. To forgive somebody who's hurt you. If you say, well, I can't let that go of the grudge. Friend, then in that case, you don't hold the grudge, that grudge holds you, and it's controlling you. 
It holds you in a self-imposed prison of pain. You need to let it go. Because until you do, you're blind and you're about to see with spiritual eyes. Fifth and finally, I need to commit in advance, commit in advance to do what God says. This is unqualified, unconditional obedience. As you come to God, asking him to teach you what you need to do with your kids, with your family, with a potential move, with a business, with your next step in your spiritual growth, whatever it is, you say, whatever you want me to do, God, I'm saying yes to. That's how you treat a Lord, whatever you want, Lord. Even if it doesn't make sense to me, I, or sometimes I wish he hadn't said that. David says this here, Psalm 119, verse 34, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then I will keep them. There's first David's commitment, see? Then I will keep them. Teach me, and I'll do it. I'll do it to the end. Give me understanding, here he goes again, and I will keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. I'm going to act on it. That's exactly what he's saying. Whatever you show me, I'm going to act on and do it. The brother of Jesus was very hot on this. James 1.22, he says, do not merely listen. That's why I encourage everybody in this church to take notes. When you're studying your Bible during the week, don't just pick it up and flick through a few pages and what shall I look at today. Get a little 25 cent booklet and write down the things that you're reading and you're learning. You'd never show up to a university lecture. You'd never show up to a school without books to write and read in because otherwise it goes in one ear and out the other. If you're going to be serious, if you're a teacher and you saw your students showing up for school with no pens, no pencils, no books, no textbooks, nothing, you'd say, hmm, are these guys here to order the class or to actually learn? So I'd encourage you, even in your own time, take note. That way you can apply that. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. So what he's saying there is if you listen and don't do, then deception comes in. And then it says, do what it says. Let's pray. Would you pray this prayer with me in your mind? Firstly, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, would you say, Jesus Christ, open my life. I open my life to you. I need to be born again. I need to be spiritually renewed. I need to be saved. I need my sins to be forgiven. I've heard about you, but I've never actually put my trust in you. I've never asked you into my life, but I'm doing that now. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for forgiving all the wrongs that I've ever done. Lord, I want to learn to love you. And I ask you to open my eyes, God, to see the solutions to the problems that are right in front of me, to see the barriers that are holding back the progress in my life, even if it's me. To see the people that are attacking me that are really, you've got it taken care of. I don't have to defend myself. You will defend me and I know I can trust you, Lord. 
Lord, in my loss and grief, and sometimes my confusion, would you open my eyes to see that there's never been a second that you weren't walking with me, that you've been right there all along, even when I couldn't see it. And in faith I ask that you'd open these eyes that I may see wonderful new things in your word. I want to come to you every day with a humble attitude, Lord. And I confess I do not want to trust in my way or my own very limited understanding, but I do acknowledge you in every area of my life. I ask you to clean out my heart of all the junk and all the garbage and the sin and the bad attitudes. And would you help me to make reconciliation in the conflicts in my life? Because I sure do not want to be walking around in the dark. I don't want to not be knowing where I'm going. So I'm saying to you now, Lord, in advance, I want to do whatever you want me to do. Whether I understand it or not, because you are God and I am not. I don't want to merely listen to the word and so deceive myself. I want to do what you say. I pray this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.